Aloha, my kako, everyone. Welcome to tonight's episode of the Moana Nui podcast. Tonight, we are discussing the importance of cultural practitioners as part of our Kuleana series in sponsorship and partnership with Papa Ola Lokahi. Excited to partner and collaborate with one of our continental partners tonight, Kalo Hawaiian Civic Club, coming out of the state of Oregon. We have had their uh, founder, and I don't know if she would, call, she would like me to call her this, but CEO <laughs> on the show before. So she is ohana to this podcast. I'm excited to have her with us. And tonight we are bringing our OPO. And for those who don't know, that's our youth onto the podcast to hear their voices on this topic. And I think it's really important to hear their perspectives and their unique way in which they, some of the unique challenges that they face when it comes to staying connected to culture and perpetuating it here on the continent. But before we dive in, I'll just introduce myself very quickly. My name is Moana McAdams. I am the founder of the Moana Nui podcast. I'm also a children's book author for the Adventures of Nakoa and Nohea series a publisher here at Burning Spear Comics with our comic book series, The Wildcard Chronicles, and a cultural ambassador and advocate for our communities and a champion, friend, and ally to our BIPOC communities as well. So thank you all for joining us. As we go through tonight's conversation, please feel free to jump in with questions in the chat if you would like, and we will bring those up as those come in. I will go ahead and announce our guests. So I'll start with our moderator. As I mentioned, Lea Aloha. She's the CEO, founder, and leader there at Kalo Hawaiian Civic Club. And excited to have her with us. So welcome, Le. Aloha. <laughs> Next, we have, let's see, I have some, two people on one screen. So let me introduce them together and in order. First, we have Mema Garvey. She is 17-year-old, and she identifies as a proud Nihonjin here in the Pacific Northwest. Her ohana, and she came to uh, Oregon in 2007, but she was born in Vacaville, California. I hope I'm saying that right. She's one of the founding members of Mohala's Youth Council, and they focus on encouraging youth to be engaged in civic activities, community organizing, and leadership development. And with her is Chloe Rodriguez. Chloe is the Director of Government Relations for Mohala Youth Council. She was born in Torrance, California, to her mom, who is Mexican from East L.A., and her dad, who is Puerto Rican from Kona, Hawaii. She has been living in Oregon since 2010 and dancing hula with Halao Kale Halia Okalokelani shortly after in 2012. Uh, she is also 17 year old, years old and a senior at Aloha High School. So let's welcome both of them to the show. Aloha. 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 Awesome. Uh, next, we have Sofia Sokiano. Uh, she is a sophomore at Southridge High School in Oregon. She's also a member of Mohala Youth Council, a group of young leaders devoted to uplifting OPO voices through community work and discussions. 
She's lived in Oregon, and most of her family lives on the island of Oahu. Uh, she gets to live a mixture of both places by being a hula olapa, also at Kalehalia o Kalokilani. And she's been a part of that halau for almost a decade. In her free time, she enjoys volunteering, thrifting, and trying new food. All right. Aloha, fellow foodie. <laughs> Aloha, Sophia. And then last but certainly not least, Kahoku Kaula. She, is, she was born in Hilo, and she's also the daughter of Lealoha. She moved to the continent when she was five, and she has been dancing hula for almost 12 years now. She, volu- she also volunteers closely with uh, Kalo ACC of Oregon and Southwest Washington. She is the director of health for Mohala Youth Council. And she is also an editor and writer of Nakamali'i Talk Story, Inquiring Minds of Today's Youth. Oh, we got to talk story about that. She's also attending Pacific University to pursue her bachelor's degree. And she was one of the founding members and president of her high school's Pacific Islander Club. So welcome, Kahoku. Aloha. Aloha. All righty. So tonight, Leloha is going to moderate our conversation. So I'm going to hand it over to there, to, to her, and uh, we'll get started. Mahalo, sis. Mahalo to you, Moana, for having us. Mahalo for having this space for our karnatha and our opio to be able to come and share. And yes, I have very much enjoyed not only being a part of the podcast, but also I'm listening and we do also love her books. It's in our library. I'm here at Kahlo. Miss uh, Sherry Daniels is also a huge fan. So she hooks us up in our library. So mahalo yes. nilo. Yeah, again, aloha mai kako. My name is Lalo Kaula. And I am with Ka'ahala Huyo Ole Kona Hawaiian Civic Club, also known as Kahlo HCC here in Oregon. Uh, and this evening, I'm very proud to be joined by our OPO, our youth leaders of Oregon. Uh, our Mohala Youth Council. I know we're missing a few of them, but tonight I think the conversation, hopefully I'm on the right track, is that we're going to be talking about what it's like to be uh, an, a youth at Opio living in the diaspora and what those kulianas and what, what all of that looks like and just talking story and asking questions. Yeah, hopefully, especially because we live, so we can shine right. I think, what was it, September? We were very fortunate enough to host our first Aho Appeal retreat here in Oregon. And we were welcomed by our Appeal in uh, California. They came up to join us. And one of our main conversations, which is what stemmed me to asking Eximwana, like, hey, would the Appeal be awesome on the podcast? And the question was that we posed to this to our youth was, youth on the continent have had to reroute and re-educate themselves to be able to stay rooted in their cultural values due to the inaccessible resources and direct connection to culture. And so when that topic came up, a lot of conversation started to stem and it started to really open up our, what our OPO go through. A lot of times we hear about our adults. I was on the panel that talked about the importance of cultural practitioners here on the continent, but what we wanted to hear was from our appeal and why cultural practitioners are so important to them living in the diaspora and having to try to navigate that Western education here on the continent. So I don't know if maybe 
we can start with you folks giving a little bit more introduction about yourself and maybe talking about, because I think we're all united through hula. So maybe we can talk about why you dance hula and why hula grounds you in what you do. So we can start with Chloe. Wow. <laughs> so yeah, my name is Chloe. In terms of kind of immigration story of my family. So like I said, my or like what was introduced earlier, my my dad's family is from the big island. My grandpa's side is from Kona. My grandma's side is from Hilo. And my dad decided to join the military and move up here to the continent. But he has really strong roots in, in Hawaii. And our family has strong roots in Hawaii and the culture and like the land. And so passed that on to me and decided he wanted me to dance hula. So him and my mom put me in hula. And that's been a pillar for my culture and my identity for a very long time. I also have another side of my identity, which is my Mexican side on my mom's side of my family. So I'm fluent in Spanish. And so those are like the kind of two, the two sides of the coin that I play all the time. I think it's important for me personally that I have hula as a grounding point because I am somebody who is practicing a culture that is not my race. And because I have that point to go back to, I can tell people, this is my immigration story. This is the language that I speak through hula. And when we're talking about cultural practitioners and why in diaspora it's so important to have those cultural practitioners, it's so that we can have that point to go back to and then tell our stories from Hawaii or from wherever else we come. Uh, yeah, that's me. Okay. Ray, you want to go next? Since you're like right here. I'll go next. Oh, my story and my bio mentioned I'm Nihonjin, so I'm Japanese. Um, my family and I, we always visit. We have family back in Japan, so we like to go there once a year. But there was one year where we couldn't go to Japan, so we're like, let's meet halfway. So we all met in Hawaii. And so after that, my mom, she uh, signed me up to join the halal. I didn't know what I was putting myself into. I thought it was just another activity, but... Once I started learning the significance of hula and how it's a cultural practice to the people of Hawaii, it really grasped, I really grasped to it. And so hula, because I'm not of native Hawaiian descent, hula helped me with my identity, I think, because I guess being Japanese and living on the, in the U.S. on the continent, it's very hard because there's two different stereotypes when you're a person of another culture living on the continent and so I was very lost but hula with the halal it has helped me with finding with reconnecting back to my cultural roots and expressing that proudly here in the U.S. Oh wait I'll move it on. Kohoku. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No. I'm Kohoku. For me I've I love hula. I've been dancing for a long time, but it wasn't until recently that I fully understood my connection with it and I, how it made me more grateful for having hula in my life and what hula has brought me. It's brought me like my hula sisters, the people I know and love today. Moving away from moving away for college, it's definitely you understand more of the importance of it. I think 
I wasn't able to actually attend an in-person class. And so when I went, finally went back and I danced with all of them and I wasn't on the other side of a screen watching them while I was on the other side, doing my own thing in my room, it felt different and I cried because you just don't feel the same. And dancing with your hula sisters in person after not dancing with them for a long time, it feels different. You feel more of a connection and you feel more grounded in who you are. And I'm glad I have that because I'm fortunate enough to have, be able to still dance hula even when I'm away from my halal and my family and my home. Granted, it's not far away, but sometimes you can't always make the trip out. Just having that outlet, it's freeing in a way that like no matter where you are or where you go, your family and connection will always be there. And that's like what hula is for me. I'll pass it on to Sophia. Oh, Hoku, how are you going to say that? I'm all choked up right now. Echo everything that the girls already said. Hoku kind of summarized it well. I think maybe right now I'm even like taking hula for it, taking it for advantage because like sometimes I just reflect and it's like hula has provided me more than just hula basics and learning songs and oli. But the halal has been one of the most stable families I've had. And so, God, stop. And it has just provided with me. <laughs> oh, oh my, oh my gosh, guys. We're, we're only like 10 minutes into the podcast. It's just, yeah. So a little bit about myself. Can we go there? I have a similar story to Chloe. Uh, my, I have, my family comes from the Philippines, China, Japan, and immigrated to Hawaii to work on the plantations. And I don't have any Hawaiian descent at all. And I think that's especially important because I have to acknowledge that I'm not Hawaiian. I'm not in a place where I can speak for Hawaiians at all. And that the fact that I am practicing this culture by dancing hula and learning olelo, I need to know my place. And navigating that has been really helpful with Kumule and just all my hula sisters. But yeah, I think going back to when my, when my grandparents immigrated to Hawaii, they were automatically faced with a lot of assimilation. And my parents found that they were growing up a lot in Hawaiian culture. And so when it came to raising me and my brother, that's all they knew. And especially when we moved to Oregon, it felt like nothing, there was no familiar faces. Everything was so foreign and they felt so like they just, it was hard. It was really hard. It was difficult for my family. And so putting me in hello and seeing that I was flourishing in, in, in a space with like where I belong, I think. That's just something I've kept to. Sorry, I'm not really making sense right now. <laughs> but yeah, that's a little bit about me and a little bit about why I dance hula, what got me into hula. Um, yeah. Can I add? Okay. I think like a common theme that is coming up in all of us is that hello is like a, a pillar or like a safe space for everybody. 
And I think that's something that a lot of people moving from Hawaii to the continent are trying to seek out, but they find it really hard. And I think what we're demonstrating and the goal of a lot of these kind of on the continent is to be creating these new generation of kids so that these safe spaces aren't so scarce. And so I think everything that we're saying is an example of we're spreading out. Like there is not, it's not going to be as scarce as it was before. And hopefully not everybody's experience is going to be as daunting as probably our family's experience moving from the continent. Like it can be a, like, yeah, just a less scary experience. And Sophia, I wanted to comment on something. You said that we need to know our place. We need to know our, and it's not that we need to know our place because we stand on the same ground as everybody else. We are educated and we are raised in this culture just as everybody else. But we need to just know our history and other people need to know our history too. It's because we come from the same, we come from the same place, ultimately. It's just we need to know the histories of the people coming in and out of this place. And Hawaii is like that common dot and everybody has a kuleana to know. Who has visited here? Who has contributed to the aina? We have a place... And nobody has a right to tell us that we have to know our place because we know who we are. Yes. <clears throat> Excuse me. Excuse me. I'm not choked. Yeah. I have to take my glasses off because the glare. Yeah. I know, Sophia, we're only studying it into this whole thing. Something that is special about this, this our group or your folks' group that you've built is that relationship and that understanding of who you are, that grounding, right? And I think that's where a lot of our conversation, right? Because cultural practitioners, the podcast that I was on, the conversation was about being Hawaiian and being a cultural practitioner or being a non-Hawaiian and being a cultural practitioner, right? And so for me, was very privileged to be able to be Hawaiian and know what it means to be a Hawaiian cultural practitioner and offer that up here, right? Offer that to our community. And so I guess, and this might not be the question that we was going to ask, sorry, because you guys are looking at me like, Auntie, that's not, well, we, didn't, we didn't talk about that. So I guess my question to you folks is, as we've built our Pu'uhonua, and I'm going to lead, this is from Auntie Moana's podcast that I was on. As we've built our Pu'uhonua here in Oregon, and you folks have been together for what, almost a, well over a decade, or how long has been in this space. We've really created a route here for ourselves. What would be the difference had I not been Hawaiian? What would you folks say? Would there be a, would there have been a difference if I had come into your, this space and try what have you folks seen? What is the what are the differences of having somebody who has that cultural connection that brings this to this space versus someone who doesn't? Am I making sense? Is that too deep of a question? And you guys are like, really? Okay. Okay. So I, cause that was a question that we talked about on our last podcast. And I think just to connect the two is just as appeal. What is the importance of having cultural practitioners? Whoever would like to go first, unmute yourself and go. If nobody else is going to go first, I'll go first. I think there was de there's definitely a lot of value in 
for our specific example, there's a lot of value in you being Native Hawaiian because our our hello is built off of Olelo. That's what. So that's specifically for our specific example. That's very important. Also, I feel in our generation, our generation might be like one of the first generations of people where there are a lot of cultural practitioners who aren't necessarily Hawaiian. I, I, I don't know that for sure. I can ask that as a question. Is this generation of Native Hawaiian cultural practitioners built up of more non-Native or more non-Native Hawaiians than before? Is that something you're starting to see more? Or, yeah, I don't know. Are you asking continent-wise? Am I seeing more non-Native Hawaiians offering Hawaiian cultural practices versus people who are... Like authentically, though. Oh, authentically. All, all across the board. All across the board. There are definitely more who are authentically teaching culture versus those who are unauthentically teaching culture. That, but like them before. Oh, then before. Oh, gosh, no. I want to say in today's era, there are a lot more, there are a lot more practitioners who are self-proclaimed practitioners. If I, I want to say that very mindfully and very respectfully, but very honestly. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you. You're still thinking? Okay. But yeah. Then I'll leave my answer at that. Anyone else want to share? Aole? You guys ready for the next one? Donald's deep. It's a deep question because I'm like trying, I'm still trying to think of more to say. Like, it is a deep, yeah, it is a deep question. I think you guys can, we can, it, it was, it, even when we were on our podcast, it was a deep question. We were like, oh, wow. That was you a, because you yeah. can, it, it really depends on like individual circumstances. Absolutely. Cause yeah, and the connections you have, like definitely if you can trace where you learn from, you can trace your knowledge back to somebody who is Native Hawaiian and who has like, significant roots and what you yeah. were taught yeah the ikiku yeah no wait no okay okay so i'm gonna lean back onto your folks's so i think through your cultural practices right so being able to be part of palau to be able to have hula as something that has rooted you folks in in your identity how has hula helped you in your activists like like how has it been able to give you the pathway in civic engagement how has hula engaged that part of you on a school how what role does hula play for you folks and i think this kind of goes with the conversation we were having with our opio from kalipuni right when you folks went to the loi we went to the mala in oregon right we went to the mala before we started working in the mala, we already knew the, pra- you know, the practices, right? We had the practices, the protocols in place of how we were going to do that. And that was something that was a little bit new 
for those OPO. Now they're in a same generation of you folks. So I guess, how does Hula help you in the other aspects of your life? Maybe that's a better way of saying it. And maybe somebody, not Chloe, can go first this time. Not that I don't know. Okay, go ahead, Coco. For me, it's taught me a lot of my values besides familial values. Um, but it's also really nice because some cultures, you can relate to each one. And you can, you can connect with more people that way. And another thing is, without Hula, I probably wouldn't be the person I am today. I also probably wouldn't have the same mindset. With Hula, it, it makes me more confident in a way. I feel more passionate about things. Yeah, it's just made me more of a grounded person in a way. And you can, you can also see things in a different perspective, if that makes sense. Because you can, because everybody has their own opinions and their own perspectives and their own like cultural lens that they see through. And I guess with Hula, and you're going to meet more people and, and make more connections that allows you to see more things than just one. So, that's, yeah, that is what it is. I want to bounce off from Kowoku about being a more rounded person. I feel like because we're in Halal and a lot of us are of native Hawaiian descent, going back to like civic activities, like I think of from this past month, you're in a very native Hawaiian environment. And so when you are not native Hawaiian, you feel like, oh, I don't have to say and all these stuff. But through Halal, because we're all of different backgrounds and cultures, you recognize and acknowledge your culture. And so it makes you more confident when you're put into different environments to speak out, not from like a native Hawaiian perspective, but of like how you feel passionately about the topic. Because even though we're not, so we all, some of us attended the Association of Hawaiian Civic Clubs. And even though we aren't Native Hawaiian, we can still talk about the different topics because we have the passion and the knowledge for it. Yeah. And even growing up here, we have aunties and uncles who are Native Hawaiian. I yeah. have nephew who is Hawaiian. We have people who have raised us who are native Hawaiian. So we also that sense of kuleana to give back that reciprocal, like what was given to us and like the values and histories that were gifted to us. So we have a kuleana to take care of that community just mm -hmm. as much as our own. Because we were able to represent all of our families from Ole Kona at AOHCC. Yeah. In that convention. I think that's really beautiful. I wasn't able to go to the association convention, but to hear that they're making connections just makes me really happy. I think to this question, I can respond in two different ways. Like Kahoku and Mema already shared, like Halal has shifted my perspective and made me a more well-rounded person, especially because I felt like in Halal, I grew up a lot with strong women and they were a huge role model for me and who I believe that I be I could become. So yeah, I've taken a lot of inspiration after the Alaka'i and Maikumu who have just, in my eyes, been 
huge trailblazing role models. And I hope to take after them a little bit. And then another way I can answer this is that hula, like dancing quite literally, it's made me a lot more in tune with my body. And when I dance hula, I feel very strong. I feel like I know myself. I feel like there's no shame. All the little things about maybe body image or whatever goes straight out the door. And yeah, when I dance hula, I feel the most confident. I think it's taught me a lot about how I should carry myself. And yeah, that's what I have to say. Can I add to actually answer the question? Because I realized I didn't answer the question. Uh, I feel like it relates to what Sophia said. So for me, just for anyone, hula is inherently political and historical and traditional and everything. Hula is everything. It can describe all aspects of life. And so I feel like that really translates to what we do with Mohala and Kala with civic activism, where the discipline of it and just knowing the history and all the little intricate details, it's both are necessary in both fields. And that's something that we've taken us, these values we've taken with us as we're doing civic activism. And that's what makes what Kalo does and what Mohala does, it makes it really unique is that we have these values backing us up in a way that other organizations don't. And so we can do political things in a very conscious and very cultural way. So I feel that's for me, that's the big impact that Hula has had on my life is just how I see the world and how I interact with the world. Beautifully said, beautifully said. I think Hula is that, Sophia. The people who have, who continue to guide us in Hula is amazing. The convention for Nalima Kalapua's council uh, meeting, we were very honored to have Dr. Okahisiberi come and speak to our group. And the conversation that I had connected with her was how to really empower our Kanaka or our Poe on the continent when we are put in, when we are made to feel like we're not part of the Lahui or when we're in, or when those conversations come up, right? How do we get our people to be, to just know we're here? And I think this comes to support that being in the space as well. And something that was beautiful is that she said, when you look at other people, other culture, they always say the past is behind us, right? Our kupuna are behind us. Just a, the past, our ancestors are behind us. They're, they're the past. But in Hawaiian culture, they're not, right? Everything we say is that they're in front of us. They've laid the path. Everything. I think with Hula, for all of you folks, it's all of those people who have come before us that have empowered you folks. It's not necessarily just Hula people. It's your kupuna and your kupuna's kupuna. Is Hula has allowed you to channel how to connect with those people and how to, how to take in what they have left for you as you walk through as you walk through that path that they have guided. You're picking the flowers or the halua that they left for you folks as you plant the next one for the next generation that's coming. Who is gonna take that same journey to you? Yeah. And that's you folks. You guys are not the trailblazers. Just remember that. You guys are also trailblazers here. And I had a question, but I think I'm gonna save that one. I'm gonna save the question I got asked later. One thing that you guys keep bringing up is about like 
Hawaii. And you folks know the work that MT does with Halau, with Kalo, every space they do represent our Pacific Islander people. And the conversation we always have is what does that allyship look like too? Right? If you're from Hawaii, if your family's from Hawaii and you're not Kanaka, that's all you, Hawaii is who you know. You, how do you say you're not from Hawaii when your great grandparents were from Hawaii? Your parents were born in Hawaii. You cannot. And then when you are in a place in Hawaii where it ha- the light bulb has come on that you to find who you are. So there's no one person that I go over Chloe say, you folks are very much in the space and the place that you folks need to be. And I think Anakalalanakila, uh, when he came up here, he also said this, right? If your feet has touched the ground of Hawaii, if your family has drank the water of Hawaii, you have kunana to Hawaii. And so we always have to remember that no matter where we are. And also remember that our ali'i also honored that too. The people who came to help, to came to Hawaii to build Hawaii, was it so? Just, just keep that in mind. I know, I know that is always a question. So, as you folks, as you do what you folks do, and I think you've talked about hula, you've talked about all of this. What truly, what truly motivates you to do what you folks do as Mohala Youth Council, not as an olapa? What is the motivation? behind the work and the activism that you folks, you guys have talked about how cultural practice has given you that kahua, that foundation. But now as you are grounded in who you are as in Olapa and you carry those values that those cultural practitioners have instilled in you, now moving forward, what is your motivation for Mohana? For me, it's a very nice thing to have on your resume and to have like on paper but when it comes down to my reason why I'm with Mohalo and why I'm involved with what Kalo and Mohalo do is because I want to create a place where you vote for my brothers so they can have a platform but also for other youth and of color where they can have a platform to voice their opinions and thoughts without being judged, which is like our mission, but it's just like paving the pathway almost because there are certain things I'm very passionate about that I would like to see change, but I know that with things that big, it comes with like great patience and time. You have to go slowly at it. It, for example, like the House Bill 3144, that was a huge milestone. And getting that bill passed solidified my reason even more of why I'm involved with this work. Can, can you share what is House Bill 3444 for uh, people who may be watching and doesn't know what House Bill 3144 is? House Bill 3144 is, it's the... Pacific Islander Student Success Plan. It is implemented so that there's more resources for Pacific Islander students in Oregon. And it's the first of its kind nationwide. And it's a plan that will be implemented where it's it goes to schools and 
creates resources for students that they can turn to. And yeah, dance first if it's kind. I think for me, there's especially for our BIPOC communities, we have, there's a lot of like stereotypes and assumptions and a lot of the civic, like all of the big action, like all the major, what's it called? Decision-making, it impacts us. And so the only way that we can start change, we can start changes by having foundations like Mohala Youth Council, because you know, one day, Auntie Lay and everybody else on the board of Kalo, they will, they, to, in reality, they won't be here like one day. So who's going to take in that responsibility? And Mohala Youth Council is, even if when we're older, it might not be something that we might not see as like our future, I would say, not career interest, but something that I don't even know how to explain it. We might not continue yeah. doing it. Even though we might not continue doing it, we have a foundation where we can go back to. And I think Mohala Youth Council, one of my motivations is because we're the next generation. And so after each generation, there's got to be a next. It's, it's what motivates me. Keep going. And oh, sorry. Yeah, go first. No, Chloe, you can go. It's all right. <laughs> For me, I feel like I came into like social media and stuff like that right around the Trump era when he got elected. So there was like a lot of political stuff happening, even in my house. There was a lot of political stuff happening. There was just more political discussion. And I like started developing so many questions that weren't answered because social media is not where you go to answer questions. And so I just, I started becoming a lot more politically confused and frustrated. And I feel like with Mohala, it not only gave me a way to become educated myself, but also be confident enough to go seek out answers and ways to change the things that frustrated me a lot. And I think I connect this back to family that I have who has not been able to access the law and they haven't been able to access knowing certain stuff about the government that could have benefited them so much. And I think it's really valuable to make the government and make civic activism accessible to our community because it's just, it, it's such a valuable resource and it's such a privilege and it is such a important part of the way society operates. Hard to follow after Chloe. <laughs> My answer to this question is pretty simple. I'm I'm on the board of Mohala and I do this work because I want to give back to the community that raised me. The Native Hawaiian community, they've taught me so much and helped me form my identity and what I know. Basically what I all of what I know today. And so if I'm able to advocate for anything like policies or resources or money for the Native Hawaiian Pacific Islander or BIPOC community, I'm going to do it. <clears throat> and it's just a way of me expressing myself. It's, I don't, I've never done it because I thought it was trendy or I thought it was what my parents wanted me to do. Oh, I actually hate that. I hate when people ask me if my parents are like, 
did they sign me up for this or whatever. They didn't. Honestly, most of the time, they don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but it feels like something I have to do. Like, I'm given this opportunity to make my voice heard in so many spaces. And there are so many people who are supportive of me and want to hear my voice and to not share it feels like a waste. So in a way, when we talk about the work we do as Mohala, it doesn't feel like work. I don't think it ever has. It feels like me hanging around with my Hula sisters. We're having fun. We're learning. We're making connections. But it's never felt like work. That's my motivation. And I, and I love doing it. I, I never want to stop. I know all of you folks are part of other organizations or clubs or other things. What sets Mohala apart? Like why, what, not necessarily saying it's better or something, but when you have access at school or maybe you don't have access to school, maybe we can talk about that. I think Mohala came to be through Nakamani Talk Story, right? Nakamani Talk Story. And, but you folks are all part of other organizations and clubs. Like why Mohala? Why still, why still keep Mohala? What is the difference? How does it stand in a space where you folks have tons of other clubs and organizations and things you could do? I think for me, a lot of us are in a lot of different clubs, but especially because majority of us in high school, you're very like pressured on what you want to do in your future. And I feel like Mohala Youth Council established what we're passionate for. And so we have people who are interested in, well, whether like through the work of Mohala, through the civic activities, you are able to find that passion of the career interest we want to do when we get older. So we have different like fields, like whatever, like law, Kobu wants to do social work, me health. So it comes with scrub. Yeah, she's wearing her scrubs right now. I had a rotation today. <laughs> we found our interest because of Mohala. It provided that space for us to grow. And so I think that's something that stems steps away from regular school clubs because although they are important, Mohala is more of a community-based um, youth council that'll let you find your own passion at your own pace. To go off what Mima said, Ohala, you get, you're very like into the work because when you, because you get more experience. And for example, if once you get more involved, you get, you get to go to the conventions, you go to, you get to go to the ALHCC convention, you get to go to the conferences, you get to go to sometimes other youth organizations or other organizations in the community. You get more experience and you also get more like, of the word. A political experience in a way and i don't know and you just get to dip your hands in multiple okay uh i'll go so i think i can definitely speak to this because i at school or even at school outside of school i'm a part of a lot of different leadership um, programs for youth. And so I'm able to 
speak my voice on different things affecting different communities. But what sets Mohalla apart is that we all share culture. And when we're doing this work, we have instantly some of the similar value set. And we know where we're all coming from. And it also just makes the process of uplifting each other and making change just more fun. And it's just really, it's really uplifting to be around people who are like you. But yeah, I hope that made sense. That's what I had to say. I think having seen Mohalla go into so many different spaces, like foundations and panels and webinars and luncheons, like I've noticed that not only are we the only youth in the room, not only the only not only the only BIPOC people in the room, but also the only indigenous culture in the room. And a lot of people see so much value in that. And I think I said this before, that having those values, like those indigenous values rooting everything we do sets us apart a lot. And as much as this kind of gets annoying, we sometimes people look at us to be the final say for a lot of things. Um like I said, as annoying as it can be, like we're was asked to do stuff, even like our Kalo leaders can attest to this that because we're representing such a rare community, we're always asked to do things. But I think that's really what sets us apart. And Mohalla specifically as a subsect of that is that we're youth and we're able to represent that side of Kalo so well because they give us such a liberal platform to be able to do that like they give us so much leeway to be able to do not whatever we want but a lot of the things that we want to do and so along with the demand for that indigenous culture in our community we also have that youth side and i feel like the youth side is largely supported by coddle Absolutely, we do. I and I want to. I speak on Kalo, yeah, Kalo. We do. To go off of what Holly was saying, yeah, here in Oregon, we've gone to multiple government systems that are need that have a name for youth, like it's the blank youth blank or the youth blank that are federally funded or state funded to support the youth and we have gone into meetings and they're surprised that Kahlo brings their youth and then we're surprised because we don't understand why we wouldn't have the youth and Kahlo we appreciate all of you folks 100% because there are so many spaces and I just want to also piggyback off of that equally we are very unique in that sense of having that youth voice and I need and I just want to remind you folks to make sure you hold on to that and don't say yes to everybody. Be very mindful on who you say yes to and the spaces you show up in. Because a lot of times those spaces can often be a matter of just a checkbox. 
And so, yeah, I know you, we have this conversation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah. So just to wrap it up, because we're getting towards the end. And again, mahalo. Mahalo to Auntie Moana for having this platform. And to all of the, across the continent, like to all of our clubs, all of our organizations, if you do not have a youth arm, a part of your organization, you need to start because these, we're not the trailblazers. They are the reason we, Kalo has, are, is anywhere where we are it's because of our youth and the work that they do from taking care of our mala to growing halwa to showing up in spaces the volunteer, everything, what they do, the most important is their voice. And the second thing I think is the allyship. I think something that's unique about Mohala is that when you folks show up in spaces, like Koi said, you represent Indigenous people, but you also represent so many cultures. You folks, the reach that you have in Mohala, I think is what's very unique about you folks too. And we've been in spaces where we're often reminded or we're segregated. We're put into places where when we're on the continent, we're different. When we're living on the continent, we may not know as much. And our voice is not as valued. And I'm glad to be in community with you folks so that you guys remind us that's not the case. And I know that you folks have also been in those spaces. And so I hope you guys continue to do this work. However, to close, sorry. I want you guys to close with this to get all of our appeal a part of this. Because no matter where you live, no matter where you are, we all, we're all together. We're not segregated. They do this work to empower everybody. But if you could describe what appeal empowerment will look like in the future, okay? So again, if you could describe what OPO empowerment will look like in the future, what would that look like? What do you hope it looks like? Yes, the question was for you folks. So you just got to unmute and answer. Do you guys need me to answer the question again? No, I had the question. I'm trying to word it in a way where it doesn't. Nope, just say it. I guess opioid empowerment to me looks like where a group of youth don't need to second guess themselves and being in a place where it's predominantly not of people of color or not of youth. I would like to see more. It's where youth are more comfortable, where if they hear something that's going on, like an event, they're not going to think, oh, what is this? Oh, should I go? Or what if there's not people like me? What if I can't connect with anyone there? What if? Like all the what ifs. So maybe more of an open environment where more, so that youth are more comfortable in joining 
more confident in sharing their voices and ha- also having the support system that we're fortunate to have. That's what OPL Empowerment. To Valenzalva Govokru, real quick, I just want to say for me, I hope that in future OPL places or environments, Auntie, I love you guys so much. I love all the aunties and uncles. But I hope to see less Makua in those spaces and more of the OPL leading. Because I guess when we have the Makua in the rooms, we let them do all the organization and the talking. And we just use it as like another like workshop space. So we're not able to, what's it called? Collaborate with each other and stuff. So I feel like when OPR are given the leadership opportunity, there's so many leadership opportunities, but once we have it for ourselves, for each other, that's something that I hope the future holds for empowerment for the OPO. I completely agree. Peer-to-peer, like, empowerment and conversations, everything is so powerful. And I think something that Mema didn't add but is really important is that when adults are talking to us, it's not the same. It doesn't, we don't register it the same. And I think I've been holding a voter registration drive at my school and you wouldn't believe like just what talking in, this sounds corny, but like a teenager type lingo, not being super like formal or, but like just speaking at a level they would under understand, connect to. It has so much, it has so much power. And a different kind of answer is that peer empowerment looks like we're confident in our power. And that, like Kohoku said, we're not second-guessing ourselves. We know that our opinion matters and that we just need to be respectful about it. And yeah. For me, similar to what Kohoku and Mewa said, I, I feel like the future of OPO empowerment is like a lot more collaboration and like true, like working together type of collaboration, not just, oh, those are the leaders and then those are the people being helped. Yeah. Because like, when the Makur are talking, the appeal aren't talking. Yeah. It's just e- even amongst youth too, certain youth as, oh, those people are the leaders or those are the people that are like going to do the thing. And then these are the youth that need help. It's no, I want, I think it's going to be, or I don't know, the future of OPO empowerment would be just OPO empowering the community. And that's something that I experienced for one of, I feel like it was the first time for me at the AOHC convention. It was just like, that willingness to be like to have that reciprocal relationship and to workshop all of these problems together so that's yeah and what what workshop are you talking about can you share the oh the workshop i was referring to was like to workshop but we did a workshop at convention we did that it was okay we inquiring minds of today's youth yeah i guess it was inquiring minds of today's youth it was originally going to be a panel about basically this culture in diaspora for the youth but and we were joined by an opio that 
we know from Oahu that we've had, we've been in space with multiple times. That was going to be our moderator. And it happened that some students from Kamehameha schools were also going to be attending convention that day and they happened to attend our workshop. And so it turned into kind of a talk story. So we made a circle and we, yeah, the, the adults were on the outside. It just was like listening. Yeah. They were listening. And originally, we were going to, they be were the- collaboratively listening. Yeah, we were like, <laughs> Originally, we were going to be the panelists, but and the panelists, and we're like, let's not make it like this. Let's make it more. So like, we made it a circle, and we bounced off of each other's ideas. And it was the first time that we felt like we were able to relate with OPL from Hawaii. Yeah, sorry, I'm going off the camera. <laughs> and it that was the first time I felt that like relationship start to build, and it gave me a lot of hope, not just for the work being done at the association level but for the work that's being done for Hawaii in the politics and land rights and everything and how we can help and how they can help us establish our resources up here yeah like that that pilina was like yeah very apparent so far and it was very symbolic the way that we had the room structured empowering for us is appeal empowering other appeal so even if it was going to be panelists, a panel, that meant that only us, we were giving our manals. So we wanted to bounce that off to the other OPL who are joining. That's why we created that circle. Because no matter what, we're getting, as the panelists, we're the only ones giving our answers. So we wanted to provide that space for them too, because we want to empower them. Beautiful. What I'm hearing is that Opio, the future of Opio empowerment is for the Makua to step outside of the circle and listen. Yeah, listen. And when we have to say something, maybe then we raise our hand. I believe. I also, auntie's an advocate for that. So I love that. So. Again, mahalo for your folks, Manao. Mahalo for your folks' time. Mahalo for sharing all of your stories. Again, Mahalo Youth Council is a huge part of Kalo, and it is a huge part of the Kalo success on who we are as a Hawaiian Civic Club in Oregon and Southwest Washington. These young ladies are very much amongst the many of our Halau. All of our Halau members are the foundation of what we do culturally and our cultural practice um, thrives here in Oregon because of all of them. And again, mahalo to you folks. Mahalo for sharing. And we hope that you folks look up Mohala Youth Council. And oh, did Mema have something? Yeah, go ahead, Mema. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram. It is Mohala underscore YC M-O Chloe. M-O Chloe. M-O-O. I can't see. Okay. <laughs> M-O-H-A-L-A underscore Y-C. Mohala Youth Cup. Mohala underscore Y-C. Follow us on IG. You can also find them on kalohcc.org. They have their own tab on the page. You can read about them and read about all of their past YouTubes. I think they have Nakamali Talk Story. It was an awesome two-year run as they were navigating COVID. and they. Had some pretty awesome people. I'm sorry, my dog also wants to talk right now. But we had, we talked, we, Chloe um, was on a panel with Dr. Fauci and the second gentleman. We had chief medical officers. We had 
educators, cultural practitioners, their work was awesome. So definitely take a look. Mahalo Youth Council. Mahalo again to Atimuana for having us. Mahalo for giving us this space. Mahalo for creating this space for our community, for the Pacific Islanders, as well as our BIPOC community, and just bringing this to all of us. So mahalo, 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 and aloha. Mahalo, everybody. I really appreciated the conversation tonight. And I'm so glad that you guys said like that sometimes the Makua need to just step back and listen to the youth. That's something I personally kako'o 1000%. And I am always looking to see, like looking for the youth voices. I want you guys to think about how the Moana Nui podcast can help to empower you guys what ideas, topics, workshops, whatever it is that the collaborations that you guys do, please think about that and let me know how we can support that and uplift the voices because I really do want more OPO voices on the podcast. And mahalo le for bring, bringing it to me and giving us a chance to, to be the launch pad for more content like this. I look forward to our next uh, conversation. Okay. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Take care, everybody. Talk to you guys soon. Ahoy ho.